Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back. This is OIS Podcast number 200. Quite a milestone. Hard to believe we've been doing it for this long. We started this back in uh, 2014. And uh, it's been a, a real treat. I know I've expressed my gratitude before, but I'm going to offer one more time. Thanks for your support of the podcast. Thanks for telling your colleagues about the podcast. And of course, um, thanks for subscribing and listening to the podcast. We at Healthogy, the producer of OIS and the OIS podcast, really do appreciate the support. And uh, I'm grateful to every single guest who has uh, taken time out of their busy days to share their thoughts and insights on ophthalmology. So thank you all. We'll keep uh, doing what we're doing and bring you more great stories going forward. Today, for example, you'll get to hear from Michael Abramoff. Michael Abramoff, of course, Dr. Michael Abramoff is the CEO and founder of IDX. IDX is the developer of IDX DR, an AI diagnostic system that uh, helps in the, uh, the diagnosis of diabetic retinopathy. The FDA approved IDX DR earlier this year making IDX the first AI company to get FDA approval for diagnostics. So uh, it's a, uh, a a huge event, not only for ophthalmology, but for all of healthcare. And uh, I got to reconnect with uh, Dr. Abramoff a few weeks ago. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, Michael. We talked to him uh, probably earlier this year prior to the FDA approval he uh, obviously had made some news with the FDA. IDX made some news with the FDA and also raised some capital recently. So we'll cover both of those milestone events. And uh, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for all the support for the podcast. And now let's hear from Dr. Michael Abramoff from IDX. Michael Abramoff, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I, uh, we, we were happy to have you on earlier to talk about uh, IDX, and this was before uh, you scored some big news with the FDA and a, and a new route of financing. So it seemed like a good time to have you back on to talk about uh, IDX DR. Before we get into the news about the FDA and, and the, uh, the fundraising and some other uh, elements I'd like to tap into, uh, let's uh, just refresh folks' memories. Uh, what, is, uh, what is IDX DR and um, what is it being used for? So um, IDX is a AI diagnostics company. That's what we're focused on. IDXDR is our first now FDA cleared or authorized product. And what it does is it's a system that in primary care and retail can detect diabetic retinopathy, which is the primary cause of blindness in people with diabetes. It does that without uh, any physician uh, input, meaning it makes this this clinical decision entirely uh, uh, by itself. And that is that was very new, uh, hence the excitement after FDA approval. Uh, it is meant for, uh, for use in primary care, where it delivers specialty diagnostics at a level that retina specialists do um, in, in places where it previously could just not be done. It does it in minutes, so it's very quick. Um, and it's at least as well, it's better than me as a retinal specialist. I can say that. Wow. 
So the, it's able to diagnose uh, diabetic retinopathy because it, it sort of comes preloaded with uh, with images of what uh, what you would look for, what any what any physician would look for, able to sort of identify those patterns and those uh, those signs. In a way, I think you know I, I'd rather explain it a little bit differently. What it looks for is is biomarkers or abnormalities in the retina of people with diabetes that we know. Um, are indicative of diabetic retinopathy. So rather than comparing it to a number of images, instead it has detectors that detect each of these specific um, abnormalities. And then if you have a certain number of them in certain places, it combines the outputs of all these detectors into a uh, disease output, meaning, you know, do you have diabetic retinopathy or not? It then makes a referral recommendation because the primary care physician or provider uh, then, then, you know, it's informed what to do with a patient uh, that's right in front of them. Interesting. And uh, very quickly, how did you come to start this company? And, and what are the origins of uh, of IDX and uh, of the uh, the DR product? So I've been working uh, on AI since in 8080 or so. That My master's thesis was on AI and neural networks. Um, I think it really came to a forefront when I was... In, in training as a physician to become an ophthalmologist and later a retinal specialist, where I realized that, you know, diabetes is the most important cause of blindness uh, in the U.S. Uh, in people under the age of 75. It's also the most feared complication, more than death or amputation or anything else. So it's really, people with diabetes are really concerned about going blind. And so we know that, but we also know that we can treat it really well if discovered in time meaning we have all sorts of new, very effective treatments that work great if we administer them uh, in time before the disease has progressed too far. And so the problem has always been that catching these people early, they do not have symptoms. They do not have blurry vision. They do not see anything wrong with their vision. So there's for them no reason to see an eye care provider. And so the only way to catch them is to look at their retinas and see whether these biomarkers that I just talked about are there. So they need these retinal exams. And that's actually where the recommendations from all the patients' organizations come from to get an annual retinal exam for everyone with diabetes. And so when I realized that many of these patients just didn't get their retinal exam until too late, and the people who did get it were always normal, I thought, well, with my computer background and my background in neural networks, you know, maybe there's a better way of doing this with a computer. And then also where the patients are, meaning in primary care. And so Took a while, scientific studies, NIH funding, um, in, you know, an, an earlier clinical trial, and, and eventually this successful clinical trial to get it into the to patients into the market, and and that's not happening. So that's that's very exciting news. This year has been awesome because uh, it's finally getting to patients, which was the the point all along. I mean, you can do very interesting science. That's just not interesting to me. I wanted to to benefit patients and prevent blindness. I can certainly understand that. Well, let's just talk a bit about your uh, your journey with the FDA. You've got the approval back in the spring. Uh, when did you first engage the FDA, and uh, what did the clinical uh, trial process look like for uh, for IDXDR? <laughs> we started working with FDA in 2010, so about a seven to eight year process. Um, and the reason for that is that for them and for everyone else, it was entirely new to consider, you know, how do you prove that something that makes a clinical decision by itself without physician oversight is safe? 
you know, how do we know that and, and what goes into that and where do you need to test it and how do you test it? And so all these things needs to, needed to be worked out for this specific product. And, and, but in, in, in general, because the FDA have never done it and no one else had ever done it. And so that took a while. Um, we eventually came up with the design of the clinical trial, which is pre-registered. We mean we decided before <coughs> we ever saw or the, ever the first patient was included, we decided how to analyze it, which patients were allowed to be excluded, you know, what would be a successful trial and what would not be. These are the so-called endpoints. All of these things we needed to publicly announce before the trial started. That's how the FDA works. Um, and then we did that. And so one of the aspects is that we consider it as a system. Um, it's the AI that makes the diagnosis. I just talked about that. But there's another AI that assists the operator, which is typically a high school graduate um, who has never taken a retinal image before, um, with taking good quality images. It's the four-hour training of those operators. So, you know, they, they say they want to be an operator. Uh, we train them in four hours and that's it. Uh, and it's also a robotic camera that we selected after many years of comparing all sorts of cameras to make sure that we uh, get, you know, a consistent high quality image on, on almost all patients. It is relatively simple to make an algorithm or even a system that can do really well on a, on a small number of, of the patients, let's say 10% of them, really high accuracy and the rest just says, I don't know. The trick is, and, and FDA was very much pushing us towards that, that it needs to work with a clinical diagnosis in the vast majority of patients. Otherwise, there is just no benefit to it. And so that was a big challenge. And that's why we went to all the effort of four-hour standard training, high school graduate level operators, and assistive AI to help them make sure they take good quality images. Uh, and the robotic camera, which really helps align and focus, et cetera. It's almost all fully automatic. So all of these things went into the clinical trial. And then we compare that, again, taking two images per eye, a relatively small area of the retina, a high school graduate level operator, no one else involved. And we compared that system telling whether a patient had diabetes, diabetic retinopathy or not to the highest standard there is in the world, the, the standard that is used in all, in all drug trials for the FDA, um, which is, you know, four times as many images, stereo images of the retina, always dilated with flash by highly experienced retinal photographers that we flew into these clinics to do it, um, in addition to a three-dimensional imaging technique of, of the retina. So the best imaging that is available, um, and, and in addition, uh, a reading center that has done this for 40 years and really everyone accepts, if they say it's retinopathy, it's retinopathy. And so we compared our essentially puny AI with our uh, with our you know high school level operator to that highest standard there is, um, and and that that is how you prove safety. It's not comparing a clinician seeing the same image as the AI. No, it's saying this is the standard we have for this disease. In this case, diabetic retinopathy. Let's look how your AI compares to uh, to that standard. And and what were the results? How did it, how well did it perform uh, against the uh, the gold standard? Yeah, really well. Uh, you know, actually we exceeded all, uh, blew out of the water all, all superiority endpoints. So I have to tell you, I, like I said, it's a pre-registered study. So before the study ever started, we had to define what we would consider success. In, in you know, what, what you want to avoid is that 
after the study is done, you throw some patients out because you don't like the result on them. And then you announce a result and say, well, actually, that's what we wanted, wanted to achieve. That is not how this should be done. What we did is we said a superiority endpoint is 85% sensitivity, which is your capacity to catch the patients who actually have the disease, and also an 82.5% um, uh, specificity endpoint, as well as an 85% imageability uh, uh, endpoint. So these were the superiority endpoints. And we and FDA agreed that in statistical analysis, if we exceeded this, it's all better than expected. We also had inferiority endpoints, which were symmetric below that, way below. And so if we were below that, we would be inferior to what we expected. And we exceeded all superiority endpoints, essentially saying we're well, even better than we expected to be based on initial studies. So you measured the IDX-DR system against the uh, the gold standard for diagnosing, but do, do, do you wait to see if the patients you're testing actually do develop retinopathy or, or develop the disease, or are you just, you're just comparing di- um, um, diagnosis to diagnosis? We compare diagnosis to diagnosis. Great question. Um, but in fact, these people had diabetic retinopathy when the reading center said they had diabetic retinopathy. The standard said that. Uh, but, but I think... I think you want to go somewhere else, which is what does this mean for the ultimate outcome? You know, what happens to these patients? And so for 40 years, what is so, why did, let me say it differently. Why this happened in retina and why this happened in, uh, you know, why the first um, gene therapy approval was also in retina, right? Last year, right? Um, Is because we have such large amounts of vast, very good quality scientific evidence for what we do in retina. And that makes it relatively easier uh, to use AI. And so for 40 years, we have been studying diabetic retinopathy and what happens to a patient if they have a certain level of retinopathy. What is their risk of going blind? What is their risk of developing retinal detachment? What is their risk of a certain treatment working? And so we know so well where a certain level of retinopathy that the reading center uh, detects what is going to happen to patients if you leave them untreated, but also if you treat them with certain drugs, with certain surgeries, etc. We have so much evidence and so that we know exactly what to do. The trick has always been not what do we do with these patients because we knew that for years. It's how do we find the patients that actually need this care. And so what you, what you rightly are concerned about, what's going to happen to these patients? Well, they should be referred. They should get the treatment and the management uh, that we know works. Hey, everyone, Tom here. We'll take a quick break from this conversation to uh, tell you a bit about a new member of our OIS family. Actually, the IDX interview kind of brings to mind that ophthalmology is spreading outside of the ophthalmologist's office and uh, into other eye care or healthcare offices, including, of course, the optometrist. We are creating OIS at SECO, which is happening on February 21st in New Orleans, to really address this uh, growing demand for innovative products in optometry and in the ophthalmic community. So hope you'll go to OIS.net to check it out again, February 21st in New Orleans, OIS at SECO. Would love to see you there. Now let's get back into this conversation. And where is it fitting into the, the, uh, the patient care? Is it, uh, if I'm, if I'm going for a physical and I'm getting my blood test, am I also getting, uh, tested for DR? Exactly. So if you have diabetes, you will probably go to your, you know, diabetes doctor or provider every four months or so, three months or so. And 
And every year they should recommend you get your eye exam. So normally you get your, your blood test. Uh, how's your diabetes doing? They look for complications in your feet and, you know, they check your blood pressure, et cetera. So all these things happen on a, a diabetes wellness visit. And then instead of you getting a referral to go visit an eye care provider a few months from now, don't forget to make the appointment and tell me about it when you get back. Instead, right then and there, um, that uh, retinal exam is done in a few minutes. And so while the patient is still there, while you're still there, uh, your physician will hear, well, they actually also had diabetic retinopathy, which will also affect how they manage your diabetes. Once you start having complications, you know, it's very important to know about that. So it's, it's a, a small change in workflow because instead of being referred and hopefully actually going to that appointment, instead it's now done right and then and there, just like the blood test uh, is already happening. So what sort of feedback are you hearing from physicians and, and hospital systems? Is this uh, clearly something they want to uh, they want to bring in? Yeah, so excitement is enormous. I mean, we were, you know, GE called us uh, one of the five, five coolest things on earth a week after Google. And so there was an enormous amount of, of, of excitement from physicians, but also from the investment community, uh, you know, from politicians, from uh, healthcare, uh, you know, insurers, from Medicare from everyone really because again it's the first ai approved that makes a clinical decision without a physician and of course the potential to improve quality accessibility and you know it's also the price of healthcare is enormous and so hence the excitement and specifically uh you know physicians primary care physicians are very excited because finally you know they can take proper care of the, the their people with diabetes their patients with diabetes um you know Retinal specialists like me are excited because it will be that we get the patients who actually need management and, and our treatments. So that's very exciting. It, it's cost savings for, for payers, for, for, for insurers. Um, yeah, so it, it makes everyone look good. So, it, yeah, the excitement was very broad. Well, let's talk about the, the payers specifically. I think when we talked last, uh, reimbursement was still a question. Of course, you didn't have FDA approval at the time either. What uh, can you can you focus a little more on the uh, reaction from payers? Are you getting a reimbursement code? Is this something that has its own code? How will it fit into the payment structure? Yeah, it actually went down uh, quite rapidly. We um, it's some well, healthcare is extremely complicated. So I'm I don't I don't want to bore you with too many details. But essentially, what people always ask is there a code? Yes, there is a pre-existing code that. Um, the so-called CBT committee from the American Medical Association decided fits us. So the description, as I just described it, which is a primary care physician using this on their, you know, patients with diabetes in primary care with an immediate result qualifies for a reimbursement under a certain CBT code that already existed. And so that's being reimbursed wherever people are billing that it's being reimbursed by both Medicare and private payers. So there is a so-called coding decision. Um, yeah, but there's a you know it's very complicated if we go deeper. I can go deeper because there's also a quality measure associated with it. But you know it will take me probably an hour to explain the, the fine detail. <laughs> but if someone uses your system, they're going to get paid for it. Something they typically, yeah. The, right now, what we see, I, okay, I, I we we don't say that. We, what we say is uh, what I can say is that who are billing are getting paid. Um, it, it all depends on local circumstances, relationships with insurers. Uh, how they bill, et cetera, that we cannot, you know, we cannot promise anything about it. We can just advise them, you know, we can just advise them, well, this is, uh, you know, this is the codes we suggest you use, but there's no guarantee because that would help them create a false claim and they don't want to do that. Sure. No, absolutely.
Well, you did. Uh, you were able to uh, leverage this FDA news in a, another positive way. You raised $33 million uh, from a very uh, excellent syndicate, including Optum Ventures. Uh, talk about that uh, that financing. Did you go out looking for that amount? Did you want more? Did you want less? And, and how did it all come together? Uh, once we... Um well, we had before FDA approval. We were preparing with a go-to-market strategy, um, with uh, with the funds we had at the time, or you know could get at the time, um, and so we started executing on day one after FDA approval. Um, we, but we realized that to accelerate additional products, get to market even faster, um, some additional um, funds would be welcome. In addition. Um, so far we had been angel funded and, and, and angel investors are, you know, they're good friends. They, they help you a lot, uh, but they general consider the investment community to be, uh, not as objective as, as maybe venture capital. And so, um, we decided well to, to show our, our true value. It's, 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 it's interesting to see what, um, you know, smart money, so-called smart money thinks of us. People will actually do this for a living and, um, and look at this very objectively. Uh, we didn't go looking for them. They came looking for us. There were 54 of them that approached us immediately after FDA approval. And so what we did was essentially a beauty contest where we said, well, who are um, investors that do not only have the money, but more importantly, that can be strategic partners. And so we looked very carefully. We had many, many discussions with many of them. And that's how we ended up with, uh, with these, you know, five, uh, this group of five, uh, investors. Um, HVC is, is very well respected in, in, in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley, in the tech community. And so we definitely, uh, wanted, uh, you know, to have maximal access to expertise in, in developing additional products in AI. Uh, how to use in healthcare. We, you know, we consider ourselves leading in that respect, but there's a lot we can learn about scaling other things from from the tech community. So that they're really helping with that. In addition, an enormous, incredible network. Um, and then Optum was very exciting because there's, of course, uh, connected to United Health Group, which is one of the biggest uh, health insurance companies in, in in the US. And so definitely, you know, them saying, well, we're actually so interested in that that we're, you know, investing. Uh, our funds into that means a very good relationship, very much more insight into how reimbursement works, but also Optum specifically, you know, knows a lot about patient populations, patient health, prevalence of different diseases. Um, and so that's an enormously valuable strategic partner. And so is Alpha Edison and Heritage, both also have uh, provider networks, know a lot about uh, the patients in their networks. And so these were all really Decisions, not, oh, yeah, well, you know, give us a bag of money. No, it was really, you know, how can you help us get to market quicker and better and get this to patients, uh, you know, in a better way. And how far will this uh, capital take you? Well, definitely, you know, where we want to be in terms of, uh, you know, revenue and um, in the next few years, uh, we are considering uh, initial public offering uh, that depends you know, on many circumstances which are under control, which is, you know, market adoption and rapid scaling, which we're executing, and somewhat also on market conditions in the general financial markets, which are not under our control. And so it depends on that. But yeah, that's definitely in the future, um, maybe next year, maybe the year after. So we're looking at that uh, and we'll see how it goes next year. 
And final question, I know you need to go. Uh, being first is is wonderful, uh, but it also is easier to put a, a target on your back when you're in the lead. Uh, who else is, uh, who are you looking for, looking at as, as competitors? Obviously, we've, you're, you're working with IBM, but we've seen interest from Google. I know Microsoft's in this space as well. What is the entire uh, AI and ophthalmology uh, space shipping up to be? Um, I think it's it's there, there's an interesting thing going on where um, we are so far the only one doing autonomous AI. I've been I've been mentioning that in the beginning. It, autonomous AI makes it makes a clinical decision without a physician or any human expert present. Uh, so far, that's unique. I see many other companies in the AI space focusing on assistive AI, where it assists a clinician or a specialist like me. But the ultimate decision is still made by the physician. Um, that's a very different world. Uh, I see autonomous AIs having benefits in terms of productivity and, and lower healthcare costs as well as quality. Um, and so we are just going for that. Um, right now, it's just hard to say where the competition is going because I'm not a competition. Um, I think you know the distinction that 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 is very important is is the autonomous AI. I, of course, I expect and hope, uh, you know, other companies will follow us, not only in, in the eye and the retina, but there's so much to do in healthcare. There's so much opportunity for AI um, that I'm sure they will follow. We have sort of uh, cleared the path. Uh, the FDA knows much better now um, how important it is to look at this. Uh, so patient safety is, uh, is warranted. And so we know much more about how to prejudge the clinical trial, how to make the algorithm explainable so that you can see why it does why it works the way it does. All these things are becoming very important. Um, I'm actually testifying to the Federal Trade Commission uh, in a few weeks about this. And so um, the competition, uh, they do what they do. Um, and it will be very interesting to see the first, you know, autonomous AI companies um, uh, starting to 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 well to talk about this. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on your recent success. We look forward to uh, following your story and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. It's very exciting. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much, OIS podcast listeners, for joining us on the podcast. Number 200, again, is uh, it's a great milestone and we're very grateful for your support. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast. Please do uh, tell your colleagues and your friends about the podcast. And finally, reach out to me if you would. I am uh, on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom. Or you can reach me via email, of course. My email is tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is spelled like the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y. And Healthogy is the company that produces the OIS podcast, as well as the many great OIS events, including the upcoming OIS at Seco. So I hope uh, to hear from you. Let us know what we're doing well what we could do better, what we're doing poorly. And of course, tune in next week for another great tale of innovation on the OIS podcast.